In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, anytime you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six months free of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are, even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing, my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers, to hear their stories, what inspires their creations, what decisions changed their careers, what relationships influenced their work. If the fashion world were a kingdom, Grace Coddington would be queen, the English model-turned-vogue fashion editor, creative director, and stylist has been telling stories through clothes since age 18. Born in 1941 on a small island in the north of Wales, Grace Coddington moved to London as a teenager. With electric red hair, she became a model and took the fashion world by storm, landing on the cover of British Vogue in 1962, where six years later, she'd begin her editorial career as a junior fashion editor. Eventually, Coddington ended up at American Vogue, where she spent more than 25 years as its creative director. For a master of style, Grace Coddington's own aesthetic may surprise you. Well, I start off with how I dress. Right. <laughs> I don't wear jeans and things like that. I just wear black. But I have a reason for that. I mean, Why? I have several reasons. Right now... I'm a little bit older, I'm a little bit fatter, and black looks better on fatter, older people because it makes them look slim and young. Because it shades you. Yeah. But the other reason is that I spend my whole life with clothes and looking at clothes and judging clothes and considering clothes and making clothes form into a story or something like that. So I want to have a kind of clean palette on myself. So that's... It's almost, it's almost distracting. Thinking. Yeah, it's distracting. I mean, I I don't want to think too much about what I'm putting on in the morning. I mean, that said, I do change. There's an infinitesimal difference between now and, you know, five years ago where maybe the pants were a little bit wider or a little bit narrower or the sweater was a little bit tighter or a little bit, you know. And I wear the black version of today rather than the black version of five years ago. So, But you asked, like, who wears fashion fashion? What kind of people? What kind of people? Um, well, because I'm ignorant. Let me just add the, the interject that I'm ignorant because I assume there are people who wake up and obviously they have a budget and they go to places that make clothes that are smart clothes, uh, um, 
that don't cost as much money. And then there's people who uh, go and buy very simple clothes and they you know, get a nice blazer and then it's all Banana Republic khaki pants and white button-down shirts and some little menu of ties. Their options are – if you're not wearing a uniform to work, let's say. Right. And then there's people who have limitless resources and can buy anything out there in the world that they want in the world of fashion. And I'm wondering, are you only making your clothes for them? No, I, th- I mean, I think it's uh, I'm, my efforts are supposed to be to inspire, you know, to inspire people. And I'm hoping that people will not just copy copy a designer's look, you know, piece for piece. I, I'm hoping that they will actually put their own personality into it, you know. And I think, you know, when it gets to the magazine, you, you show it in lots of different ways rather than just the way it came down the runway because... Otherwise, everybody really would kind of be dressed the same and it would be embarrassing. Um, If you're just wearing black, people don't notice that it's the same. I think that um, um, there is a very sort of ostentatious way of dressing that um, is not the kind of look that I admire. But I do like people to have fun with it. You know, fashion is something to have fun with, I think. You believe that? Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, for those that have the resources, resources in the body. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, actually, a lot of people have fun who don't have the body, and sometimes that's okay because they've learned to deal with it. You know, but um, they've compensated somehow. You know, what I don't like to see is people that are a little older than they should be wearing, you know, let's say a very short skirt or something that's. For the young. Yeah. So you have those delineations in your mind. That's for the young. Yes, but... You're you're straining to look young. uh, Yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't. I mean, you should be the age you are. There's nothing wrong with any age, even as old as me. You know, it's okay. (laughs) Well, it's it's funny how you say that because, I mean, I have simple and and, and a very short, I mean, an almost, uh, uh, you could write it on the back of a napkin list of my fashion do's and don'ts for men. And whenever I see grown men with a ba- baseball cap on backwards, I want to go, oh, no. Oh, I whip it You look like head. an idiot. <laughs> men straining to look boyish. Yeah, that's the same. Women straining to look, you know, younger than they but are. I, but I expect that more from women. Yeah? I, well, I mean, meaning that, that women are constantly being abused, if you will, by the notion that as they get older, they're less desirable, they're not as, you know, young and beautiful, and men trading in their wives for younger women. But, know, but, but with they, men, I don't they, understand it. If they worry about it all the time, then, then then they're never going to feel comfortable in their own skin, and I think that's such a shame. I mean, I'm a great one for not believing in plastic surgery and things, you know. Just, you were born in Wales. Yes. On an, and you grew up, were you born and raised on the island in Wales? Yes, for yeah, I, I didn't even come off the island for a very long time. What? <laughs> you live on an island now. Island. It's yeah. an island often, yeah, but it was. Well, no, actually, the island I was born on was probably, probably about the size of Manhattan, but um, but that was off another island, so it was you know. What quite was the remote. name of the island in Wales? The island I was born on was called Holy Isle, and that's off another island called Anglesey. Where, where is that? What part of the country? Way North Wales. North Wales. Yeah. Right off the tip. And you left the island uh, when you were how old? Um, I think I left um, when I was about 17, 18, 18, I guess. To go to, to, go to university? 
Oh, no, please. No. No, <laughs> no I'm totally uneducated. You have no education? No, I have no education. No. I went to school until I was like 17 and a half or something. Did you graduate yeah. high school? Um, <laughs> can we pass on that? <laughs> no, no, I but don't that's care. The, but that's the beauty no, of this I, show. I, people I, people I, bear their souls no, on no, this show. No, 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 I know. I know. That's why I'm joking, actually. Um, I got scripture and art, yes. <laughs> I went to a convent and... Um, and it, it took me several times taking it, and I got scripture and art. Um, I'm very, very, very nervous when taking an exam, and I would sit down at the exam, and I put my pen to paper, and I just simply couldn't write a word. So I failed all my exams. You know, I was I was just like rigid with nerves. I'm a bit like that talking to people too. So you are. I warn you. Yeah, that's no, fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, it's fine. You know, I'm I'm a little bit better now than I was a couple of years ago. So when you're there, you have how many siblings in your family? Uh, I you had one who? sister. You had a sister, and your parents. Older. What did your dad do for a living on the island? Um, my parents ran a small hotel. They did uh, right by the beach. It was really lovely. Um, it was kind of a holiday hotel that was only open in the summer months. Um, a lot of tourism there in the summer? Well, you know, by, by, by Long Island standards, no, but by, I guess, North Wales standards, yes. So they had a business? They had a business. They had this little family hotel, yeah, that was right practically on the beach, very small, I think, about 20 people could stay there. Was fashion, clothing, I mean, I, I have only the most tired images in my mind of, of uh, was your mother into clothing or someone in her your family or was it Barbie or some I, doll, no, whatever the equivalent no, was? There was no Barbie back then. My mother was, I think, very kind of fashionable in, you know, my grandmother was an opera singer. And I wish I could sing. I wish I got something from her, but I didn't. Um, and... Um, they had a sort of huge house on one side of the island. And then um, and my father came from Derbyshire, which is northern-ish England. And they met and uh, and then they they ran this hotel. And my mother was, all the pictures I see of her in her youth, she was very, she was very chic. But she used to make a lot of her clothes because I think there weren't too many shops there that, Sold high fashion, so so she she knitted a lot and she made her own clothes and she always looked amazing that I remember. I think the I mean people... she wore suits and things, although they you know it's way in the country and it was very dressed up. But it was that period, I suppose, in the forties when people dressed up. They were more conscious. Of they that. didn't wear jeans. It wasn't as I mean, casual. I don't <laughs> think jeans existed in right. those days. Well, with cowboys maybe on the maybe, American West, yeah, yeah. yeah, herding sheep maybe, but. I think all of us have, I mean, even when I was young, you know, my dad said to me when I was going to, I was going to graduate from high school, and I grew up with a big family, and my father was a school teacher, and he had no money, you know, and he said to me, we're going to go to a store, and we're going to buy you a suit, and I bought this three-piece suit back when people still wore three-piece suits. Yeah. I bought a three-piece suit from, it was Pierre Cardin. Or something oh, like that. Wow. This is back That's in the seventies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, but this was a discount place. They sold discount clothes. <laughs> but even I could recognize what was beautiful, 
When did you start to not recognize what was beautiful? When did you start to decide you wanted to teach other people what was beautiful and dress other people? How did that, how did that begin? Well, I think it began because um, when I eventually left home and went to London, I then um, I started modeling. So I was modeling for um, 10 years or so. So I was very immersed in the fashion world, obviously, there. And it was such a great time of fashion. It was the 60s. Um, uh, and the whole ready-to-wear thing was beginning to happen, and it happened very strongly in London. Um, I think London was a wonderful place to be at that point. And it was, you know, then I started obviously getting older um, towards the end of my 20s, and other people, like other models, famous models like Twiggy came along, and so um, I decided that maybe I should stop with this modeling lark. And I, d I got offered a job at Vogue. So I was... British yeah, Vogue. British Vogue. Right. I was super lucky. And um, so that was in 1968 when I started there. So, so that, it's a way back. So I guess that's when I started telling people how to dress. I, I slightly used to tell people when I was modeling. It was a very different situation then to now, you know, they didn't have these huge teams of people that they have now on a shoot. Um, well, why do you think it evolved to that? Why are there those huge teams of people now? What happened? Um, is there so much more at stake? So much more at stake. And time became money, you know, and everything had to be done quicker. And, you know, when I was modeling, you would go on a trip for two or three weeks. And even, you know, through the first 10 or 15 years working at Vogue, and now it's two days if you're lucky, and you don't right. get further much than LA because you know you get everything because everything is so so expensive. You know, but photographers don't have the time, models don't have the, nobody has the time. The so, models don't have the time. No, they don't have the time. <laughs> well, where I mean, where do they, they need to be? The, well, they, they probably need to be on the other side of the uh, Atlantic, and that happens all the time. They go from you know Paris to Milan. Yeah. And they, and zip, they want to go home. They they zip. Well, it's, they, it's not even a question of going home. They barely have a home. Those poor girls. You know, they literally rip from one airport to another and leap off a plane or expect it to look beautiful. And and you have twenty four hours to only do you. A shoot. Only you, with any authority, could say those poor girls. Well, I've been in that position. Speaking so of those I beautiful know. women in the world, those poor girls. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've been in that position, yes. so I know how tough it is, even if you're 18 or whatever, to get off a plane that you've been flying for eight hours and feel or something and, and feel fresh and, Ready. you know, and everybody looking at you and expecting. And, you know, I, I personally get off a flight and I feel all sort of puffy and, you know, so. Oh, God, me too. <laughs> but um, but the, we're uh, a little older than those girls. Yes, I, I am. I am. Fortunately. Indeed. You started at British Vogue what year? 1968. So you're there in, how would you describe it? I only have ignorant references to like the swinging fashion. London and what, what London was like back then. Yeah, what was that it like was, you know, kind of full on swing. Well, it was even, it had been for a while. It was through the 60s, yeah. swinging London. A cultural epicenter yeah. for a lot of things, music, yeah. art, fashion. Yeah, everything. That's what was so fantastic. Was it. it was all relating to fashion, you know. it was all Everything was into relating fashion and, you know, all that 
pop music and things that's yeah. so great. Yeah. Well, yeah, in this country in the 60s, they shot the president, they shot his brother, and they shot Martin Luther King. Yeah, well, that was then they, over then here. Then they had the war that in Vietnam. Yeah, that here. was over here. You so know, London, you were having a good London, time. In London, we were all yeah. having a great time, <laughs> and we barely heard about that, you know. Right. I mean, uh, and what kind of work were you doing at British Vogue? Uh, same as I'm doing here. I was Literally? A, yeah, I was a fashion editor. You started out as a fashion editor? I, I started out as um, a junior fashion editor, which simply meant I went a little slower than other people. And then I became a regular fashion editor. And um, then I was kind of the fashion editor somewhat in charge, you know, the main one there for quite some time. And you were at British Vogue for till when? Um, I was there until, I think, um, 86. 87? Yeah. I have 87 you moved from London to New York. Whose idea was that? Um... Calvin Klein. Right. Um, <laughs> well, it, a lot of things kind of fell into place. Um, uh, I'd lost my mother shortly before, so until that time I always felt I couldn't. Were they still in Wales? Yeah. Uh, yes, she was. <clears throat> and um, I had a nephew that I was bringing up, and he was like 20, so I felt I could leave. And I always wanted to come to America. Not always, but in the last of those three years in England, um, I started looking to America and what was happening here and working with American photographers and namely Bruce, Bruce Weber, actually. He, he's the one that kind of introduced me to this country, to the culture, to everything, really. And I became really excited with it. And I also had a boyfriend who lived here. So I was kind of looking to come here and it was a time where the editors changed at British Vogue, and actually Anna Winter went there as as the editor. Um, and she'd been a friend of mine for years, so that was kind of great that she came. But I just thought it was a good moment to move, and I got offered this fantastic job at Calvin Klein by Calvin. And Doing he, what? Uh, I was the I was called design director, but. I mean, I wasn't designing. I was just um, in the design room working with all the team of people. Right. And when the decision for for Calvin for you to come here, so you're British Vogue to working for a designer, you're out of Vogue, you're right. out of publishing for a while. Right. And how long are you with Calvin? Not very long because I really miss publishing. I mean, I, I adore Calvin. I, he's fantastic and he's, you know, we're still good friends and... But I really missed the involved, like doing a lot of different things. And um, I just felt that being in the same place and working with, with the same person, it was, it was just not for me. And I don't think I was doing them any favors. How long know. did that last? Uh, a year and a half. So brief. Yeah. yeah. Um, and was the Vogue operation in the U.S. had open arms for you? They were ready for well, you to Well, what happened was right at that time is... Um, Anna was given, was made editor-in-chief of American US, Vogue. So, you know, as soon as I got that news, I'm like, yay. And I called her up and said, um, could I have my old job back, but at American Vogue? And she said she was like very immediate. Welcome and she home. is. I mean, I don't know if you know home, her right? at all, but I've met her she's a few fantastic times I don't know her, because yeah. she's, you know, she doesn't dither around. She's, 
She's very decisive. And, um, no kidding. She immediately <laughs> <laughs> said, yeah, I'm starting on Monday. Do you want to start with me? So I did. Oh, she it was it timed out when she was crossing over. You yeah, were going to walk in the yeah, door with her. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And that was uh, close to 1990. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was... 89? 88, I think. 88. Yeah. Uh, I'm not interested truly, and, and I'm loath to talk about... She's a counterpart of yours to talk about Anna in the way that she's um, scrutinized in the media and so forth. But why do you think, was Anna viewed, forget about who she is and what her contribution to this is, but was she viewed the same over there as she was in the U.S.? Or did, when Anna came over to the U.S., did a different woman emerge? Because I, I was invited to have dinner at her house and I went with my wife and I. She had a, about 20 people over to her house down there. And I was so thrilled because I really wanted to She's an amazing host, right? Yeah, she it was lovely. And she was lovely. That's and the see real her. Anna right. is. Yeah. She's incredibly warm. And, and she was. She's a fantastic host. And yeah. she makes everybody down to the smallest person feel you know, important and at home and, and things like that. So, you know, she's uh, this other persona that everybody seems to have about her is uh, it's wrong but I mean that said is she was the editor of Vogue and that's a big deal thing you know so before you even start as you walk in the room that's who you're going to meet with those responsibilities yeah and that so, mantle to, so, to carry you know you know, I think she can be intimidating to people. I mean, I've just known her so long, so we get on really well. You know, that's not to say that I can push her, push her, you know, push her around. I can't. Um, but um, I was hope I was hoping you were going to say that you can, <laughs> and you share well, with us how you I, do that. <laughs> we play games with each other, I yeah. think, a little bit. You know, um, but at the end of the day, we respect each other. But. You know, I push her as hard as I can, and she pushes me as hard as she can, you know. It. And it's a good game because, it, you know, I think what comes out of it is something that's quite strong. Coming up, Grace Coddington talks about the one group of people she won't dress. As Coddington was making fashion come off the pages of American Vogue in the late 1990s, a fictional TV character named Carrie Bradshaw was taking it to the streets. In the very beginning, we couldn't get our hands on anything. Nobody wanted to give us a thing. Nobody. And we had a teeny, 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 we talk about anemic, we had a tiny, tiny budget for the whole per episode. And it was about, I think, toward the end of the second or even the beginning of third season, I can't remember which, that... It was Fendi that loaned us a baguette, and that was like the gateway. That was, you know, the floodwaters. Everything shifted. To hear Sarah Jessica Parker reflect on the Sex in the City years, take a listen at heresthething.org. Hi, I'm Alec Baldwin. Don't you think it's cool to care? Carrie Yuma knows fast fashion's not sustainable and decided to spin that conscious mindset to create high-quality, low-impact sneakers. 
Their best-selling Akka style is the perfect, durable sneaker for dressing up or down, pairing a fresh look with broken-in level comfort. Akka is made with organic cotton canvas and ethically sourced rubber, and every pair comes with Karayuma's signature cork and Mamona oil insoles. Akka's already found its way into my summer shoe rotation. Find your pair and choose from a range of bold and beautiful colors. Right now, there's 15% off at C-A-R-I-U-M-A dot com slash Alec. With how much we rely on our devices, it's easy to forget about the hardware we're born with. Take ears. Like fingerprints, your ears are totally unique. Too bad your earbuds aren't. Unless you've got Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds. Ultimate Ears Fits offer premium sound and all-day comfort. Their groundbreaking lifeform technology guarantees a perfect fit in only 60 seconds. Just put in the earbuds, connect to the app, and watch as the purple LEDs form the earbuds to your unique shape. With 8 hours of continuous playback on a single charge and up to 20 hours with the charging case, Ultimate Ears Fits are the perfect choice for listening to your favorite music and podcast all day long without pain or discomfort. For a limited time, get 15% off above the current offer of your pair of Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Earbuds at ue.com fits. Just use promo code FITS at checkout. That's 15% off the current offer with promo code FITS at ue.com slash this is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Grace Coddington is the closest thing to fashion royalty that there is, a successful British model-turned-fashion editor and creative director of American Vogue for more than two decades. But beneath her porcelain skin and iconic red hair, Coddington is still a shy English girl with a dream, pushing herself and everyone around her to aim higher. Much of her work can be seen in her most recent book, Grace, the American Vogue Years. There are listeners can't see me do this, but I'm leafing through this book of yours. And I want to get, who's this photographer here? Stephen Mizell. This is Stephen Mizell. There it is, Mizell. I mean, I look at a picture like that, which I can't describe to our... That was a whole story we did um, on the 20s. And actually, that's a story that um, appeared in the film that kind of made people know who I was, the September issue. Right. And that's that's the story that I am fighting for one picture, which is also in the book. I printed it in the book, but it never made it in the magazine. Um, I'm fighting to keep this picture in. And and I was trying, no, not that one. It's another one in the same story. Um, which it's all about the twenties, that that story. And in um, September issue, you're fighting to keep this to in. keep this one picture Is in. It in here. It, I think it's the other way. You have to thumb the other way. And you know this that's book it. Thing. Yes. Okay. So you fight to keep I this image. I was fighting to keep this in. Why? And then, well, now I'm looking at it, and I think you know, maybe I shouldn't have put it in the book. I could not decide whether to put it in the book because. Largely, everything in the book has been printed in the magazine, and it takes on a, once it's been printed, it takes on another life. Somehow, people recognize it, they know it, the picture becomes stronger because of it, or whatever. So, it's a funny thing if they haven't, if it hasn't actually been printed, usually they disappeared into no man's land. But because of the movie, 
And I keep holding this picture up and, you know, shouting and screaming and stamping my foot and complaining that it's been thrown out. But now as I look at it, and I look at that picture, for instance, to, uh, compared to the one over the page that you were looking at before. The two ladies. Yeah, which is part of the same story. Yeah. The other picture is so much better. You know. yeah, that's it a just gorgeous is. picture. It's, it's more beautiful. And well, there's some acting and involved. Ultimately, in all I can say is maybe, you know, maybe Anna was right. And she, maybe when, Anna when, was right. Maybe Anna was right when she threw it out. There's yeah. a homogeneity of expression. All these women seem to be going through the same thing. When I connect with it, it's it's because I'm not into the clothing, women's right. clothing. I look at all this and I go, oh, that all looks, you know, I guess that turns on some kind of woman. She'd go for that. And I'm looking at the faces of these people who are obviously they're there for a reason. Right. Like, like, is there ever an idea that you're going to have clothing modeled by people and you cut the heads off and don't even bother involving the expression of a woman's face? No, I think that I think it's integral I think to have that. Yes, absolutely. Right. And, and I think knowing it's that, really important. I mean, I th for me, the casting of a photograph is the most important part of it. You know. So I see this, and I go, "Oh my God!" Like, look at her. You know, I mean, how compelling, how strong. Yeah. I mean, all the whole thing is just—it's all of one, and the colors, and the lipstick, and the eyes. And I'm like, "Oh my God, that's just gorgeous." The Mizell that's here that I favored, the two women in the, in, the, right. in, the, in the bar or whatever, the 20 shot, that was shot where? Oh, here in New York. In, and and in, how in, long did it take to shoot that? That one, well, it, you know, it's always a series of pictures. It's like right. 12, 14 pages or something. So that, I think that was maybe a three-day shoot. Beautiful it's back a little bit, but, you know, these days it's never more than two days. The actual picture probably took, I don't know, half an hour. Now the obviously oh that part of the process you know. well obviously when you're um, you're including the faces and the and the, and, and the mask if you will of the of the model and the, and the work you do are there some women you've seen over the arc of your nearly fifty year career I mean when was the time you walked in a room and even just to yourself said oh my god look at that woman I mean she just really is such, such a creature oh it does happen yeah, yeah who no 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 it does happen give me give me one. <laughs> You said, oh, my Lord. Um, well, it's probably not walking in a room. Um, you know, I, I, I recognize the beauties from, I don't know, the runway or somewhere yeah. like that. Um, or from other photographs, maybe. But uh, um, who's the most... No, no, I wouldn't say most beautiful. No, no. Who's the newest right. person that I'm intrigued by? It's um, a young model called Natalie Westling. Westling. Yeah, and then everybody will say... Is she from I, Wales, by the way? No, she's no, okay. not. She's, she's American. Um, but it, everybody will th thinks I only like her because she has a ton of red hair. So, <laughs> And so I suffer because I, I tend to like girls with red hair. It's just something I like about the coloring. So when a red-haired person walks by, I do notice them. Do you ever think about dressing men and... Well, I have to, particularly if you work with Bruce, you do, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but I usually, actually, in that case, let him dress them because he's much better at it than me. But I'm, are the men there I'm to... incredibly bad at dressing men. I, it scares me to dress men. I mean, I know... Why? I don't know why. I just, I can't, I can't, from something hanging on a hanger see whether it's going to work on the guy or not you know i um when they're actually dressed in it someone else has dressed them i say they either look right or they don't but but um 
you know, I tend to not like men to be too dressed up like a fashion really? thing. Yeah. Really? I like them to I'd be have that fantasy about, simple. I have that fantasy about Anna. I have a fantasy that Anna was, I'm assuming she was married, she has a daughter. Right. And I'd assume that if you dated Anna, it would be just, it could be potentially painful. She'd be like, oh, Frank, don't wear that. That shirt. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how she is yeah, right, right, with right, her right. Whether husbands you get it right or whatever. But... She gets involved in how we dress men in vogue. Of course she does. It's but the men are secondary of... in vogue. The men are extras and they're, and they're bit yeah, players. Yeah, but don't tell them that. <laughs> right. I mean, unless get, like it's a celebrity uh, who gets some kind well, of feature in only there. celebrity men get into vogue. They, we don't work with male models at all. Not even as props standing mm. behind other no. women? No. Well, no. Truly. True, yeah. True. If you look through all those pictures, those every time you The guy you, you see is a famous guy. Yeah, he's usually an actor. Actors right. do it better, you know. Right. Than, Let's hope so. Then, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, better than, you know, I've worked with musicians too, but they, they're not used to being photographed or whatever, so it's easier to work with an actor. Why don't you get male models in there? Why? Um, they're used to having their picture taken. I know they are, but they're, they're Probably going to be a boring. lot more great for they're other boring. They're kind of boring, okay. you know, it, it, that you get much more out of an actor. And there's a story to tell behind him, you know, that's always good, too. I mean, we work with people who have a film that's just about to come out or whatever, you know. It, there's usually a, a, a promotional, reason, yeah. you know, otherwise they would never Sometimes, do it because yeah. I don't think it's their favorite thing to do unless they're very young. When they're very young, it's it's kind of fine, I guess. The term that's used to describe the work you do typically is editor. And so how would you describe it? What, is it, what does an editor do? Um, what do I do? Or is it just about uh, everything? Yeah. You, we, we do a lot of things. I mean, editing is part, a small part of it. You know, edit, you edit the clothes down to the ones that you want to photograph. Um, and everything is around organizing a, a, a photographic shoot so but we also you know choose models and choose photographers and choose the story we want to do so it's not just <clears throat> cutting things down it's also creating things who decides who's on the cover of the magazine um anna ultimately it's anna yeah. but is, is, well, there, is there a powwow it's you anna, have you know, for every page of the magazine, because ultimately it's it's done with her knowledge and and obviously collaboration. So, so ultimately, it's the editor in chief of the magazine that makes the final decision, but also contributes along the way. You know, she doesn't. We don't just do it and present it to her, and she says yes or no. It's um, it's discussed all the way along at right. every stage. She's collaborative about it. Yeah. Uh, just as movie studios and producers and studio executives have uh, records in which they, you'll talk to the guy or the woman who said, oh, we passed on Jaws, you know, we, we passed on Star Wars. There's, there's regrets that they have and where they got it wrong, even though they've had great success, they don't always get it right. And has that happened with you? I'm, I'm assuming when you've been responsible for well, editing so many right. issues. No, but what, what's, what's an example of something you think, God, I wish I could do that over again? Something spectacular. Um, um, I mean, I think that about every shoot I do. I think, you know, when, when, when I, I'm packing up and we're getting back on the plane or whatever or driving back from the studio, I, I, I wish, 
I say, oh, I'm just getting into, you know, I'm just on a roll now and I wish it could go on forever. And I, because now I know that I would have not put those shoes or not done that or, you know, I wouldn't have done the hair like that or something like that. And maybe that would have been better. And you're always asking maybe about every shoe, you know, if you're 100% satisfied with something, it's, it's usually not a good shoot. <laughs> But you can feel good about it or bad about it, you know. So, some, hopefully, you feel good about it when you finish. I want to ask you about uh, uh, well, two things that pop to mind here. Um, one is about Bruce, <clears throat> um, Bruce Weber, the famous photographer and filmmaker. Um, I was delighted to get invited to Bruce's house. Where I know Bruce through my brother Billy. Mm -hmm. And when my brother Billy was modeling for the first couple of years of his career, um, uh, he knew Bruce and, you know, Calvin Klein ads and so right. forth. And, and Bruce uh, found a lot of young actors. I mean, he's he's amazing at how he yeah. hones in on those kids that are, you know, probably starting modeling because they yeah. can't get a job something or else. something. And, uh, and Bruce just sees something in them, you know, this. There's a list as long as my arm. I'm not good at remembering names, but I, you know, when you look back at older pictures of his and you suddenly say, "Oh my God, there's like Matt Dillon or something." Sure, else, exactly. For one, yeah. Um, uh, Bruce is such a uh, uh, a cuddly man. <laughs> He's like the cuddliest man. There's a photograph I had taken that I posted on my Instagram page of Bruce and I cuddling. We were at an opening or a premiere of something, and he went, and I put my head on his shoulder, and I'm hugging Bruce. Like the moment you see Bruce, yeah, you want to, you want to like get on the couch him, yeah. with him and just squeeze him, and let's <laughs> let's pop some popcorn and watch a movie. You know, he's just the most adorable man you've ever met. What is it? I'm just using him as an example. Meaning, right. what's required in the world? You'd assume the girl's the girl. She fits the clothes. She looks right. There's lights. There's a camera. What does the photographer bring? That's I, think, I, I think, you know, each one obviously brings his own thing. I think what Bruce brought is he um, he came in at, to fashion photography at a time when everything was very kind of fake and painted and, you know, it was big shoulders and tough and, the, you know, the working woman kind of thing. And he broke all that and... He, you know, scrubbed all the makeup off and had tousled hair and, and you know, preferred to photograph clothes that were vintage or that had a softness about them or a romance about them. And you them. were there to witness that when he was doing that? I was right alongside right him, yeah. And when he was doing that, did you gasp or were you like, wow, this is cool? I was like... Go, Bruce, just, go. Yeah, go, Bruce, because I was loving it, you know. And then he kind of... My 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 idea at that time was it was a more sort of English vintage, and then he his was more American and American Indian and things like that, all mixed in. And then there was the whole photographer culture of Edward Weston and all those people that were all inspirational to him, you know. And, the, and how they looked and how they lived their lives and how, you know. He he, and he introduced me to all that, and that was so fascinating to me. Now, someone like him who has this great career—I mean, he's one of the—you know—I don't—I don't like this word. It's such a Trump word, but I'll use it now because we're in the age of Trump. Uh, all these top, top photographers—he's one of the top photographers in the business. Um, the um, 
eventually, you know, all things must pass. Or does Bruce adapt? Does Bruce do his thing and stay, or does he, he adapt? I think he's uh, adapted, and it's kind of rolled over. And I've actually done two books. The, the one you have here is the most recent one, but I did one before. And in, in the one before, there was a you see very much the older Bruce, and now here's the newer Bruce where it's, it is, you know, he does embrace celebrities without making them look like stand out. They just become part of the landscape in a way that is kind of interesting. He, um, his, his photography is about what's happening all around you, you know. I like to think that we have um, a fairly sophisticated listenership, not just in New York, but beyond. Um, and female, you know, I think, I think men are less. And that's not true. I guess men more and more and more um, seek to um, inform themselves about clothes rather than have it passed on like by my dad, which was, I think, was my <laughs> point was that was very common then. Yeah. Taste in clothes was yeah. something you were instructed yeah. about rather than going out in the world and acquiring your own taste. And um, uh, in that way that I have had people say, uh, uh, um, Simon Doonan, I say to him, what's the tip for women? And, he, and whatever his answer was, you know, bag, shoes, you know, uh, jack, or whatever you think, you just spend the money on this and then fill it in with this. Do you have any such advice for women as to what to wear? What do you spend your money on? Um, if their budget is somewhat limited? Well, buy one thing that you absolutely love and you're going to wear more than once. So try to make something that's not too extreme, something that's... Buy something more expensive that's going to last because if it's cheap, it's probably not going to last. That's... I mean, I I would rather buy one very expensive sweater than six cheap ones that are going to peel. You know? Right. Well, if when you do retire, if the time comes that you retire... And if Anna decides to put you on the cover for your retirement and you need an actor to be on the cover with you, just as that furniture, Should just I think behind you. Exactly. I will put the suit on. I will be your furniture, your arm candy behind you on your... Well, that would be really good. On your au cover. I'm, I'm just volunteering that now. Just, <laughs> okay, okay. I'm a big fan of yours, well, and I love September Anna's issue. <laughs> right, right. But thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. you. It's fun. Thank you. When speaking at Grace Coddington's 70th birthday five years ago, her longtime friend, colleague, and editor-in-chief of American Vogue, Anna Winter, called her the, quote, heart and soul of the magazine its guardian at the gate, its beacon of excellence, unquote. Learn more about Coddington's work in her most recent book, Grace, the American Vogue Years. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. 
There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hey, it's Chuck Bryant from Movie Crush, and I want to let you know about a very special episode where I speak with TV legend Alan Ball on the 20th anniversary of his landmark HBO show, Six Feet Under. We cover everything from the show's inception to its legendary final season and finale. So many people have said that it, it was such a strong ending that that's uh, definitely very gratifying. A lot of other great shows have not been quite so lucky. So head over to Movie Crush wherever you find your favorite shows and check out our Six Feet Under 20th anniversary special with Alan Ball.